Okay, let's borrow heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again just for another day to be able to gather together like this and worship you through your word, listening for your spirit. We thank you for your faithfulness toward us, Father, and your patience toward us and your gentleness, and of course your love that motivates it all. Father, we ask at this time for special prayers for those in our local assembly who are struggling, who are sick, who are suffering. You know who they are and what they need. We ask that you encourage them and show them your hand upon them. And Father, we do ask for miracles. We know you still do them. And we ask that you glorify yourself in healing our members. Father, also we are especially grateful and thankful forevermore for your Son, Jesus Christ, who regardless of earthly circumstances and sufferings, you gave us the gift of eternal life through him. By grace, through faith in him, we're so grateful, Father, that it's not based on our own works or merit or efforts, which are impossible before you. Father, we ask that you bless this message right now Guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Our Attitude Towards Wisdom, Part 4. So let's begin with a theme that's been growing throughout this series, and that is the fact that our attitude towards God's wisdom is our attitude towards God something that we don't always give a one-to-one -one correlation in our heart. But that's in a lot of scripture, said a lot of different ways. Our attitude towards God's wisdom is our attitude towards God. And by the way, he's the treasure. He's the one we're seeking, not the knowledge itself. So we've been asked uh, some pretty important questions such as, do we look at wisdom as getting to know our God and Savior on a personal level? Uh, that's not the first instinct. That's not the first way that we view wisdom. But that's really what it's all about. Do we look forward with a positive attitude to gaining a greater understanding of God and His thoughts, His ways? You know, I, I, I want to know why my father thinks the way he does. You know, so that I can be on the same understanding, same level with him. So I'm not confused about his commandments because I understand how he thinks. So God wants us, he wants to let us in all the way, so to speak. He wants to let us into his world, his thinking, his heart. But we're generally too stubborn and too resistant. So a couple of re review points from the last couple lessons. Our attitude towards wisdom on the board by faith, do you have a positive attitude about discovering God's wisdom, expecting to receive understanding from the Spirit each time you open your Bible? That's a good measuring stick, and that's a good daily uh, test. Every time you open your Bible, do you uh, adopt this attitude? And if you don't have it, do you bow your head and, you know, repent, confess, whatever you need to do to, to accept this attitude? to grab onto it. How we seek will affect what we find. This is another repeated message, not just in the series. And again, God sees the intentions of our hearts. So we've been told, once again, do you have an intent to learn when you go to the Word? Do you have an intent to know Him when you go to the Word? And here's another point that's been repeated. Uh, I put it on the board for you. The Bible teaches if we don't look at wisdom as something of priceless value, we are not seeing clearly. Uh, we're, we're just, we could say we want wisdom, we could say it's important to us, <clears throat> but is it important like a $10 bill or a pile of gold? And, and I'm not talking about the money, I'm talking about your attitude towards those things, right? You can say, yeah, the $10 bill is important. What's your attitude? How does that shift 
in your head when it's a pile of gold you're talking about. Hate to use that analogy, but it's the thing that works with us, unfortunately. Um, if we're not looking at God's word or God's wisdom as priceless, we're not looking at it clearly. We're deceived in some way. So we've had two huge questions keep popping up on the board, key considerations in your soul. Do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? Matthew 6, 33, 13, 44 through 46. Job 28, Proverbs 2, 1 through 10. That should say 1 through 11. Um, and how do you pray for wisdom? How often do you pray for wisdom? Second Chronicles 1, 10. We're going to see that again tonight. And the Spirit added in James 1, 5, which we'll get to. So two big questions that can help you examine your attitude. So do we see wisdom as greater than uh, earthly riches and wealth? Greater might be the better question. On Sunday, we went to one of the wisdom books to hear the wisdom of a faithful man of God. And in the middle of his incredible sufferings, his incredible testing, Job hearkens back to a treasure hunt for God's wisdom. It's almost like a moment of clarity, because a lot of what Job said in that time wasn't good. He was kind of blaming God and things like that. But then in this moment of clarity, if you will, he sought God's wisdom, and he said, where else can we get it but God, basically? So turn again to Job 28, and this time we'll start in verse 12. Job 28, 12. So this is after Job describes the mining for gold and precious stones. He goes into the search for wisdom, being something man cannot find on his own without God's help. In other words, man can go in the mines and find gold. Man can block up the streams and pan for gold or whatever. But you can't do that with wisdom, is what he's saying. Without God's help, you won't find it in the sea, on the mountains, in the, in the ground. So that, it's almost like more elusive, if you will, than the gold and precious stones. And it only comes from God. Job 28, verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. So in other words, we can't search for wisdom in an earthly way and find it. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Now at this point, the Spirit interjected something for us here on Sunday. And I put it on the board for you today. Uh, again, our attitude towards wisdom. Today, we have God's Word in written form at least what he wants us to discover. But even then, we mustn't get arrogant. It's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. We must never forget that. Just We, we, we must never assume a position of control. I was thinking about this before service. Well, God says this? Okay, great. I'm going to, you know, almost put him back on his heels, as Pastor would say. And I'm, I'm going to get this thing called wisdom, almost on my own, you know what I mean? Without humility, he's not even going to reveal it to you. You could read the Bible a hundred times. Without humility, he's not going to reveal the understanding to us. And even then, it's up to his sovereign spirit, what he lets in your soul and what he doesn't. What he wants you to receive and what he says, no. He's sovereign. So this is where the right and proper fear of God comes in. He truly is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. 
for us to actually understand the Word of God is granted by God alone. Again, the point on the board. Today we have God's Word in written form, which Job did not have. At least we have what he wants us to discover. But even then we mustn't get arrogant. It's up to the sovereign spirit of God to grant wisdom and understanding to the humble soul. We must never forget that. Many a student has approached the word with the wrong attitude. And all they've gained is academia. Facts. Not an understanding of the true God and his ways. And not the most vital part which is abiding in the sphere of God's love with him. Without love, it's empty, right? We know that. So just a reminder from the Spirit on the board. Let's uh, go start again in verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears, we have heard a report of it, God understands its way. Notice that again. God understands its way, the way of wisdom, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it, searched it out. And a man, uh, and two man, I'm sorry, two man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Isn't that interesting how he ends that? Two man. He says, in other words, directly to man, here's what you need to know. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. If you want more awesome wisdom from God, like from God's own mouth, he was speaking to Job in chapters 38 through 41, rebuking Job, reminding him of how little he is compared to God who knows all. It's really a, a wonderful read if you want to enjoy that chapters uh, 38 through 41 and then Job's redemption in, in chapter 42 but um, these things are so beyond us like even the things that God does show us we know a minuscule amount only he understands for example the inner workings of creation which is what he tells Job at the end of the book and only God grants to man what he sees fit to grant even in terms of wisdom and understanding. So again, one of our key points has been, do you look at wisdom as riches and wealth? And how often do you pray for wisdom? Go to Proverbs 2, verse 1 again. Proverbs 2, verse 1. This is another passage that compares wisdom to riches and wealth. And this one is written by King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. We're going to get to his prayer again tonight. But look at Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and, the treasure, and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. We could stop right there and just dwell on that because that's a if-then statement. It's a promise, but there's a condition to it. And notice it's about how you seek. How would you seek for silver or gold? You wouldn't be like just walking down the street kicking the rocks whistling, looking up in the sky. You'd have your head down. You'd have two shovels. <laughs> you'd have a, a light on, right? You'd have magnifying glasses. You'd be hunting. And that's how God says, if we search for him that way, as for hidden treasures, you will discern the fear of the Lord 
and discovered the knowledge of God. Until then, you will not discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. That's a promise from our God. That's how it works. He wants honest seekers, if you will, humble hearts. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. As came up on Sunday, are you going to rely on gold to guard you or silver to watch over for you? That's absolute silliness. But on the board, here's the conclusion we can draw from Proverbs 2, 4 through 5, and verse 11 in particular. If we invest in God's wisdom, it will actually protect us and reveal to us the things of God. Which again, it's up to his sovereign decision to do so. And that's why it's only in the fear of the Lord that he releases these things to us. Because without that respect for who he is and that he's in total control, we're being arrogant to some degree. Again, if we invest in God's kingdom, or God's wisdom, I'm sorry, it will actually protect us and reveal to us the things of God. That's the message from Proverbs 2. A little more review on some key points uh, regarding a cold shell of obedience from the blog on 8.2.19. A main point that the Spirit has blended into this study on wisdom is that there are two kinds of obedience, that which is done in love and that which is not. So the Spirit has said, in like manner, there are two ways we can seek wisdom or seek God, their equivalent, out of love or not out of love. So we might rightly ask ourselves, am I seeking God and his wisdom out of love and appreciation for him or not? Are my motives not pure, in other words? Am I seeking God and his wisdom out of love and appreciation for him? There are two ways we can seek wisdom or seek God out of love or not out of love. What also came out from Pastor's blog on obedience is have we made ourselves bitter because of our familiarity with God and his provisions? An interesting thing to think about, um, an interesting cause and effect. That familiarity makes us bitter, um, discontent, right? Um, unhappy for unknown reasons, quote unquote, right? I don't know why I'm miserable right now. I don't know why I'm not content. Well, maybe familiarity has made you bitter, is what the Spirit is saying. If, if we were grateful every day, if we were, um, you know when something is new for you, newly done for you, how thankful you are when it's new? Just like when you were saved. That overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness that someone did something, maybe saved your life in this world or eternally speaking. And you have this gratitude, this thanksgiving, Right? And not, almost like nothing can get in your way of being content and being happy or whatever because you appreciate it. So it's when we lose that that all the other stuff creeps in. It's when we become familiar that we become bitter. But it's foolishness because we're just forgetting what God has done. So the Spirit asked us on Sunday, when's the last time you considered that you're quote-unquote lucky to be alive even? When's the last time you thought that way? On Sunday, the Spirit asked us how we would view our life if just yesterday we were miraculously saved from an oncoming truck, for example, and we knew we should have died. How would you look at your life today? I shared with you Anthony's childhood story on Sunday as an illustration. How would you look at your life today if you knew God intervened miraculously? So what would your gra gratitude level be, in other words? And therefore, 
You want to be miserable or bitter because you're not familiar. You're, you're appreciative. You're in that mode, unfortunately, because it's new. But when's the last time you considered that you have narrowly escaped death? We all have. By God's grace. By his sacrifice. So when we become familiar, we become bitter. Here's the point on the board. Eternally saved from death. If we go about life holding on to this true perspective that we have been eternally saved from death once for all, we can't help but be happy and grateful. And we won't really care, or I'm going to say have anxiety here. We won't really have anxiety about the other details of our lives. I say that because I don't want to give the impression that we should not care about the things that we're responsible for, right? Not at all. We, we're responsible to our, our boss, our family, our pastor, or whatever, you know. We should be very careful and loving of everybody, whatever our relationship is. So this is not talking about not caring and oof, no big deal. I don't, I'm not going to do my, take care of my business. It's talking about being anxious. We can't help but be happy and grateful if this is our perspective. We won't be anxious about the other details of our lives. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 was our prime example. So honestly, ask yourself, why, why would you get distraught? And the key word is distraught. Okay? I hate to see this happen to believers when believers do this. I hate when I do it sometimes. Why would you get distraught over something like a blown engine in your car? I mean, yeah, the car might be gone, right? Totally done. $3,000 to fix it. Don't have a car anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But why would you be distraught when you know you've been rescued from hell once for all and heaven is awaiting you? It doesn't really make sense. Our priorities have shifted. Our, our, our focus has shifted. We've lost sight of the point on the board. We were eternally saved from death. Nothing else really matters, quote, unquote, comparatively speaking. So we're talking about being excessively sad or distraught or anxious about the things in the world that happen to us. We should not be anxious to the point where we're, you know, totally flustered, you know, our heart's beating a mile a minute because of the engine on our car blew, right? Or somebody lied about us, whatever. Big picture says, God's in control. I'm going to heaven. Maybe it's tonight. I don't know. God will take care of this. How are you going to handle this, Father? It's just the wrong perspective has snuck in when we get familiar and therefore bitter. It's not the life God intended for his children, obviously. Instead, we should walk every day in this reality by grace through faith. On the board again, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah, right? Praise Jesus. It's all done. It's all over. The victory has been won. The only thing that could really ruin our day, quote-unquote, would be going to hell. Comparatively, everything else is absolutely nothing, like a speck on the windshield. Could anything more be more important than what's on the board? But we do all become wickedly familiar at times, and we lose this precious perspective that keeps us grateful, that keeps us content and at peace. We get familiar that we've been spared by God. We get familiar really with what God's love has done for us. So speaking of being bitter, James tells us that that is not the wisdom from above. And instead he tells us what the wisdom from above looks like. So since we're on this topic of wisdom, go to James 3.13. 
James 3.13. You can be bitter because of familiarity and selfishness, as this passage gives us. Or you can repent and appreciate all that God has done for us. Galatians 3.13 Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So we might rightly say, when we fall into bitterness and selfish ambition in our heart, in other words, I want what I can get out of life now, and I'm going to take the shortcuts because I'm, quote-unquote, you know, fed up with God or frustrated. Well, you and my friend are now being arrogant and lying against the truth. And that is not the wisdom from above. It's actually earthly, natural, and demonic. Verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So which one are you on a habitual basis? Which description, which list is you on a habitual basis? And do you need to repent towards God? It's between each of us and the Lord. But there's a good explanation of the evil wisdom, so to speak, and the good wisdom. So as we struggle with these things, falling back into our old ways of thinking at times, here's more questions the Spirit wanted us to consider. Key considerations in your soul. Why don't we ask God for spiritual things? Why is asking for wisdom closer to the bottom of our list than the top? If it is, we have a lot to think about concerning our attitude towards wisdom and where true riches lie, what true riches are. And the question came up on Sunday, is it because in our hearts we really don't believe it's wisdom that will give us happiness and peace? All the good fruit that James just talked about. And we think that other people or material things can do so quicker or easier. That's what we believe in our heart. So again, the world is going to attack us on this. Satan knows just how to get at us to help us seek shortcuts to the blessings that we uh, wrongfully think are going to make us happy. So be on guard and ask the Lord for help and protection from deception. On the board, again, perspective on wisdom. God is trying to cleanse our hearts from deception. And that includes the lie that gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority and our heart's desire. Like God doesn't need to be number one, in other words. Commandment number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Eh, you don't really need to do all that. You love God enough, don't you? That's what Satan would say. So what's wrong with getting what would make you happy? God is trying to cleanse our hearts from that lie that sneaks in from our flesh and the world. That gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority and our heart's desire. Matthew 6.33 we've seen and 1 Kings 3.9 we'll see again. So on Sunday now, you know, pay attention to this and see if you can see you know, what, what the Spirit kind of showed me as I was preparing the lesson and just how he put certain things together. There's a very interesting sequence of passages and principles that he put together for us. And hopefully if you didn't notice it on Sunday, 
you'll notice it now. And how he did this, uh, how it just all blends so perfectly. Things that I wouldn't normally have put together necessarily. So first we considered this on the board from a cold shell of obedience. Sacrifices in the Bible are results of, not causes of, spiritual wisdom. All right? We don't get spiritual wisdom from making sacrifices. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And Jesus said, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 9.13 Again, what good is doing the work of God without the wisdom and love of God? This is why our attitude towards wisdom is so important. So take what you see on the board, and then let's go to this next summary of what the wise scribe said to Jesus. Mark 12, 32 and 33. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. If you recall, this passage came up in our previous series. And it was before God put this series together where we just saw the point about burnt offerings on the previous slide. So to love God and love others is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So then the Spirit gave us this to chew on and hopefully swallow wholeheartedly. God's after our hearts. Knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. It's not even close. This is so important that it, it deserves our um, even putting time aside, even taking time off, so to speak. Um, on Sunday, the Spirit mentioned taking a sabbatical. Whatever you need to do to get alone with God and have the right priorities in your heart instead of just keep going through the motions and what you should do, with the wrong attitude. As the Spirit said on Sunday, we need to get this through our thick skulls, and as the Bible would say, our hard hearts and our stiff necks. Because we all have a certain degree of it. We don't like to think we do, but we do. And we all need God, or we need to allow God to break us down, to willingly be brought low by the overwhelming nature of his love. And just let that sink in. I mean, I don't even know what I'm, I just said there, to be honest with you. Because it's whatever. It's what he told me to write, told me to say, and it's um, hard to comprehend. Let the Spirit do his work in you, right? We need to allow God to break us down to willingly be brought low by the overwhelming nature of his love. Again, the point on the board, knowing and loving God is of far greater importance to God than the sacrifices we make. And I'll share this with you because I think the Spirit wants me to. I've recently come to the conclusion that I've been scared of God's love, as strange as that might sound. And again, it's one of those things that's hard to put into words. And it's something I'm kind of going through right now with him. It's between each of us and the Lord. And I appreciate your prayers, by the way. I would really appreciate them, and vice versa. Because we all battle, we all struggle with this to some degree. We need to allow God to break us down, to willingly be brought low by the overwhelming nature of his love. We need to embrace his love, right? But we might be scared to do so fully. Because it's, it's too much sometimes. It's just so overwhelming. It's so beyond us. But 
as we've been talking about in this series on wisdom, if we're humble before him, he wants to let us in and show us and get through our thick skulls. So anyway, this is so important to God, by the way, the point on the board. We might rightly say everything in our spiritual lives rests on this. Knowing his love, that is. Again, we either do things out of love for him or we don't, right? So God has allowed us to see this principle on the board in the life of Solomon. He's an example to us of this attitude that the Lord desires to flow in our hearts. These illustrations in the Bible are so wonderful that God records these lives, these real people, these sinners, and records these illustrations for us. You know, something we can see as an example to follow, right, in a way? Um, it's just great. Uh, as, as you know, we all need these things sometimes to get the point across or to see how things work in God's plan. So again, on the board, before we get to Solomon again, perspective on wisdom. God is trying to cleanse our hearts from deception. And that includes the lie that gaining his wisdom doesn't need to be our top priority and desire. Let's turn again to 1 Kings 3, verse 3. 1 Kings 3, 3. <clears throat> we looked at this on Sunday. It's one of the most noble prayers in the Bible because it's a heartfelt request for things that are not material but for the things of God and because it expresses a love for God and his people, not for self. And hopefully you'll also see it expresses a righteous fear of God, which we all need to have if, if we're going to have his wisdom revealed to us. 1 Kings 3, 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So again, please notice his love for God was present in verse 3. It came first, and that motivated his offerings. So they were good, and God said it was good. How do we know? Because of verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So let's pause here for a minute. Do you see that Solomon was obeying the two greatest commandments? Love for God and love for others. His concern, his care, was for God and what he thinks, and was for God's people, others. Now, couple that with what we were taught by the Spirit from the Lord's commands about love. You'll remember this from a few weeks ago. What did Jesus say? If you obey my commands, you'll abide in my love. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Remember that? Is this not a picture of what Solomon's attitude is like in this passage? He's obeying the Lord's commands out of love for him. And because he loves God, he's obeying his commands, even seeking to do more for his people. 
we get a demonstration from Solomon. He was abiding in the sphere of love with God. We see his attitude towards the God who never changes, who reveals his love for us and simply desires love in return. So hopefully you see that in Solomon's attitude. Again, look at verse 9. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been none like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will, be not, uh, there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. So notice Solomon asked for wisdom. And the Lord was pleased with that righteous request. So he granted it. But Solomon asked. Ask and you will find, right? Do you think God might want to do this type of thing for us? If God is good, and he is, if he's the good father that he is, and he's waiting to give gifts to his children, is he not just waiting for us to have the right attitude? As an immature child, let's say. Do you think God would not want to release his wisdom to us to help us understand these things that sometimes we find difficult to understand? Remember this verse, which came up the last few weeks also on the board, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is waiting to release understanding to us, to actually understand Him, to know Him. But the question back on the table is, when's the last time you asked for wisdom? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 1, verse 7. 2 Chronicles 1, 7. Solomon actually asked and he received And James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He wants to give it. Second Chronicles 1.7. This is uh, another summary of the story we just read on Solomon. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, I, I kind of chuckled at this phrase earlier, God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, in other words, God's saying, I know your mind. I know these were your real thoughts. You're not trying to fake me out to get riches. Remember we talked about that on Sunday? God knew his mind. These were his real thoughts. God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, and you did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So, we can certainly learn from Solomon's humility and love for God. 
can we not? And if these aren't honestly the priorities in our hearts right now, do you think God might be pleased if we asked him to change our hearts, to change our motivation even? Solomon wisely sought wisdom above all else. But it was because he had a heart for God. It's because he knew the love of God. And therefore he was able to have this priority. So a lot of prayer might be in order. A lot of real relationship building time. So as we begin to close, we're talking about our attitude towards wisdom and gaining the right perspective towards wisdom. Like that's where it starts. If, we don't, if we're not looking at wisdom the right way or, or learning about God or knowing God the right way, we're not, we're not going to go anywhere. We have to have that right, proper respect for the riches that is God and his wisdom. And we're told in Holy Scripture, if we seek him, we will find him. If we seek him, how? Does it not say with all our heart? So we're back to how we seek him depends on or results in what we find. If we seek him with all our heart. It's another if-then statement, really. And isn't he the one we're actually seeking? Is it not his mind and heart that we're seeking? It's interesting how this came up to me in prayer um, kind of at the beginning of the series as I was preparing for this series. What does God want for us? He actually wants us to find and discover him, like his actual person, his heart, the way he thinks. And it's not about earning our way to him, but there's a search man is on to find him, whether man realizes it or not. There's a search man is on to find him, not just find knowledge and wisdom. As Holy Scripture says, God has set eternity in man's heart in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And he is eternal life in 1 John 5. So there's a search that man is on to find him, God, his person. That's who we actually should be seeking as we talk about wisdom. And Jesus told us this in his word. So you might even be thinking of this verse right now. And I'm going to put it up on the board in two different versions to get a little different flavor, so to speak. Look at John 5, 39 through 40 in the Living Bible. Jesus said, you search the scriptures... For you believe they give you eternal life. And the scriptures point to me. Yet you won't come to me so that I can give you this life eternal. See how wisdom is really about him? Look at the message version. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Interesting translation, huh? But the scriptures are all about me, Jesus says. Come to me. I will give you rest. In the attitude of our hearts, we should actually be seeking his person. Let's go to one more passage as we close. Uh, turn in your Bibles to John 1, 35. John 1, 35. This is a passage that I've often skimmed over in the past. I haven't really pondered it. But a lot is actually said here with few words. And it's right to our point. What does it mean to seek wisdom? It means to seek the Lord, really. So look at John 1.35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What do you see here in this passage? Let's again read verse 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. Do you see here that the Lord tested the desires of their heart when he said, What do you seek? He didn't say, Who do you seek? But that was their answer. He said, What do you seek? And notice they didn't directly answer the Lord's question. They instead, probably to the best of their awestruck ability, said, basically, we want to be with you. We seek you. These men had a sincere desire for him to know their Messiah and Savior. And then the Lord said, come with me. So there's another illustration of real people walking with the Lord that we can learn from, that Holy Scripture gives us as an example to follow and, and even how to follow him. Not follow what he can give us, not what he can do for us, but to follow him. So when Jesus says to us, what do you seek? Our answer should be, it's you, right? But the bad motivation might say, huh, what do I seek? What can I ask him for? Like a genie in a bottle. Do we seek wisdom for that, or do we seek wisdom to get to know him? And in him is where the true treasure is and where the true peace is and the true everything comes from. Amen? All right, we'll pick it up there on Thursday evening. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is truly amazing and endless. We thank you for all these lessons that you Reveal to us through your spirit. And we thank you for your faithfulness and your patience with us as we grow and come to know you better. Help us, Father, have a right attitude towards wisdom. Give us the right heart so that we seek you ultimately in our hearts to know you, our creator and savior. We ask, Father, that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen.